In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will actually continue our uh, Bible study in Second Samuel. If you guys remember, we left a long time ago at chapter 15. So we'll do just a quick review, so you're all kind of catching up, and then we'll continue chapter 16. Second Samuel is basically divided into three parts. The first 10 chapters is about David actually finally becoming a king. So before that, he was running away. And finally, the first 10 chapters, slowly by slowly, he, God allowed him to reign over all Israel. 11 and 12 is the sin of David. When David committed adultery and he sat Uriah for murder and he did not repent and actually God sent him a prophet to wake him up and to make him repent. When the prophet Nathan came to him, he told him that God forgive you your sins, which means that David will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he also told him that there will be troubles in your house. So from chapter 13 until the end of 2 Samuel 24, it is all about the troubles that happens in David's house. Now, this is a, a really as we go through this, this is something that we all can look at and watch carefully. Because some things happen in our life as a consequence of choices we make, as a consequence of our own sins, as a consequence of things of the past. But even if God went as far as claiming what's going to happen to you, that does not mean that you can go through it alone. And we will see that David the prophet, through this period, he actually started to learn so much. And our Lord have not uh, lost how he looks at David all his life. David continued to be a man after God's own heart. With all his sins, with all his mistakes, with all his punishments, with all his failures, and I think it's important when we look at the Old Testament, I do personally feel it gives us hope. Because when you look at the saints of our days, yeah, sometimes we might don't see all their mistakes, but when we look at David the prophet, he was somebody who committed many mistakes that we can all relate to, and sometimes we might feel, wow, this is shocking. But still God continued to work with him. So some of the, some of the punishment that David have seen he have seen that his first son uh, dead, the one that was born from adultery. He also has seen that his daughter was raped by his son. And then what happened was her brother Absalom killed his brother who raped his daughter. And then last, last thing we have seen was Absalom. We said Absalom was a very handsome young man. He was so good looking. And his father rejected him because he killed his brother. So what happened was that Absalom finally came back. Him and his father kind of reconciled halfway, not fully. And this is also another problem. And then we know that Absalom, for four years, he would wake up early, stand at the, at the city gates, 
And every single person comes out, he'd be like, so what judgment did you get from the king? And he'd be like, the king gave us this. He'd be like, if I am a king, I would have given you a better judgment. So for four years, he was lobbying for himself. Until the day came where he got a permission from her father, his father to leave. He took some leaders with him. And what he did was he sent some spies throughout all Israel. And he told them, once you hear the voice of the trumpet, just say, Absalom reigns in Hebron means Absalom is planning a revolt against his father. And this becomes, obviously, one of the biggest trials in the, in, the, in the list of difficulties that David had to go through because now his own son is forming a rebellion against him. And when a situation like this happens, it's quite difficult because it's your own son that you love, but now he's also threatening everything that you have and you stand for. So it's not an easy situation. It's almost like when you have a child who's a drug addict and he keeps consuming all your money and then you don't know what to do. Should I, should I try to spend, invest more or I give up? It's not an easy decision. So he actually, David, had to go through all this stuff. The beauty about this as we go through here, the beauty about even though some of, some of the outcome that was going to happen to David is already uh, prophesized about by the prophet yet every smallest step David have learned to submit have learned to change have learned to repent and that's why the scripture kept it because regardless of him knowing what's going to happen he still continued to become a man after God's own heart Imagine if God comes and tells you, in five years, this is where you will be. Or in ten years, this is where you, you will be. You might give up. He's told him your house will fall apart and your wife's people will take it. It's just a tough prophecy. And then what did he do? He continued to be a child of God. And that's something that I think it's important to keep in mind. So just to kind of give you the scene, so you guys are aware, what happened was, when the spies came and told everywhere, Absalom is reigning, Absalom is a new king. So some of, the, some of the David's servants came and told him, look, Absalom, everybody's following him. What are we going to do? So David ran. He left Jerusalem and he ran. He ran in shame. He had some soldiers and some people, some of his close followers. But now Jerusalem is empty and his son now is going to come to take over. And if you guys remember last time, some of the followers of, the, so there was two camps. Absalom and David. Some of, the, some of the trusted people who liked David were the priests. And they came and told David, we want to be with you. David told them, no, no, please go back. And I want you to work as my spies. You know, when you hear something, just send me the information so I know. So he sent them away. And then now we have Absalom where a lot of people followed him. So now we're going to go to chapter 16. Chapter 16 starts with... David running away, and he's going to meet somebody on the way, and we're going to talk about what really the story is all about, and then we'll come back to it. It says, when David was little past the top of the mountain, there, were, there was Ziba, the servant of Methibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddle donkey, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 cluster of raisin, 100 summer fruit, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Ziba, what do you mean 
to do with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said today, the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, hear all that belongs to Methibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord and my king. What's happening here? If you guys remember, David, at some point, he, he made a promise to Jonathan, uh, uh, Jonathan, Saul's son, that he will take care of his child. Methibosheth was a child of Jonathan, of, of Jonathan and he was lame. He was not able to move. So eventually, Saul, uh, David found him, and he restored to him all the lands of his father. So Methibosheth is the grandson of Saul the king. Okay? And if you guys remember, Ziba was the servant of Methibosheth, and David later on told Ziba, I'm going to give Methibosheth all this land, but because he's lame, I want you to watch over all these things and take care of all these properties. What happened? When David was running away, obviously he's vulnerable. He's in need. He has a problem. So Ziba was sneaky. What did he do? He brought in some critical food supplies. Raisins and donkey and, and all the stuff that the king and, the, and wine that the people would need. And he told the king, this is all for you. So the king asked him, where is your master's son? Where is, where is Jonathan's son or, or, or the grandchild of Saul? But he told him, he stayed in Jerusalem. He doesn't like you, David. He doesn't, he doesn't want to follow you, right? He's telling him that Methibosheth is a traitor, basically. And he's telling him he was hoping that this revolt somehow will make him gain authority, make him become a king. Because if you guys remember, Saul was a king, Jonathan. So Methibosheth, if, if we follow this, should, should have become a king. Obviously, what Ziba is saying is a lie. And we will know this later. But basically, Methibosheth is so poor, so lame, cannot even move. And there is no way logically he would say that I am going to stay in Jerusalem because this revolt is somehow going to come to me. Absalom is the leader of the revolt and he's going to revolt. But what Ziba did, he used the vulnerability of David at this moment and he offered him some kindness so he can get the sentence from David. He told him, all what belongs to Methibosheth now becomes yours. All what belongs to Methibosheth becomes yours. So all what Ziba wants is to have properties that does not belong to him, somehow to get it along these lines. A couple of things we want to be careful about. Father Beshoi Dimitrius used to say something beautiful. He said that a wise judge always hears from two sides. So here David made a decision to give away all what belongs to Methibosheth without even hearing his side or knowing what's happening. The other thing is there are three different ways that people usually try to control you. Okay? One is by misinformation to make you sympathize with them. And under mis misinformation, you could put lying or manipulation, whatever it way. And this, we can see this a lot in the media and in the world. 
The second is by guilt tripping you. The third is by aggression. Misinformation, guilt, and aggression. What Zippa did today was misinformation. He did not give the full picture to David, so he got something that he does not deserve. Sometimes it's common, actually one of the, uh, yani, one of the very well-known books in, in, my, in my early high school, college age was uh, Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life. And in that book, he said, one of the top driving forces for people is guilt. There are some people who are so good at manipulating you to feel guilty so you can do what you want them to do. And then the third type is the aggressive, the one who gets angry and yells and scream. So you feel like, I want to avoid this, this tension. So let me just, you know, I don't want to even have this conversation. So let me just try to avoid having this conversation as much as, as we can. So here David, we see he has made a mistake. He has shown kindness to somebody who has flattered him with gifts and hardship. But this also, by the way, what David, is, what David is going through is something that we all go through. When we're going through a difficult time, running away for our life, when we feel things are really difficult, it's very common we make that mistake where we don't think things out and we don't make right decisions because we're vulnerable, where we don't have time, things are less of a priority. So we are willing to make quick decision because we have not thought it through in great details. Now, after David had this incident with Zippa, now he's gonna have another incident, which is quite interesting. David, as he's running away, he's going to the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. This is where King Saul is from. And obviously people from this tribe they don't really like David that much because they believe that he took the, 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 the place of the Saul. And also, obviously, when Saul was a king, he used to take care of his family. You know, he'd give them money, whatever it is. So now they're not in, in power, so they actually don't like David very much. So now when King David came to Baharom, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as, as he came, and he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shemai said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue, the Lord has brought upon you the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hands of Absalom, your son. So now we are caught in your own evil because you are bloodthirsty men. It's a, it's a, if you think about this, imagine two parallel roads and in the middle of them there's a little bit of a valley. Okay? David walking with army, great army, horses. Okay? And this little dude comes, all right? Telling David, oh, you're bloodthirsty, and throws thrones at him. Obviously, if, 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 if one of those armies just sneezes, they will destroy this guy. Okay, this is, this is really the image that you have here. And to me, it's fascinating that this guy had the courage to come out and curse him. 
And it's fascinating that this story is in the scripture. And we'll see a couple of important things. One idea we have to keep in mind, a lot of times, you know, the expression says, when it rains, it pours. This is what's happening with David today. He came, he became a king because God called him to become a king. But now he's vulnerable. Even the things that he did right, the devil is calling it to question. He's trying to break him. What is he threatening here? He's threatening his call. David was called to become a king. And the devil is trying to tell him, see, you've committed so many mistakes, your call was wrong. It's a very, uh, very tough situation. Very tough situation. Uh, so let's see what, what, what happened here. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Obviously, one of the soldiers told him, this little dude here, all I have to do is just take off my sword and just kill him. By the way, this guy, Shemai, he was actually breaking the commandment because he's insulting the king. And receiving the punishment was worthy for him. And David had the power, and he also was vulnerable enough, emotional, sad, broken, everything you can think of, that he could have easily taken revenge. You know, like when you read the Old Testament, it is human interactions. One, David failed with Methibosheth, did not do his due diligence, but when it came a time where he was fully aware of what's the right thing to do, look what he did. But the king said, what have I to do with you sons of Zuraya? You guys remember the, the son of Zuraya? He also killed somebody else earlier, a few chapters ago, because he, he, uh, he, he killed one of his family members, so he went and killed him right away. He got revenge. Let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? Wow. David is telling the commandment of his army, commander of his army, let him curse me. Because the Lord told him to curse me. Obviously, David, as I said, he understands what he's going through is because of his sin. And there's a prophecy already about what will happen in his house. And he sees that he's responsible for a lot of what's happening. And he sees that his son killed his brother and he did nothing. And he sees the sins, the sins of his children in front of his own eyes. All of this is in front of him. So what is he saying here? He's saying, I have learned something. That everything around me does not happen by chance. Even if something seems so evil and out of place, I know that God allowed it. He is in a state of the greatest submission I have seen. Where he sees somebody who curses him, he has the legal right and the executive authority 
to get this guy out of the way. But he decides, he decides to take the insult. And we're going to see why he decides to, to take the insult. St. Saint, Saint Augustine says, by enduring Shemai's insults while fully able to silent, uh, while fully able to silence them, David recognized the need for humility and acceptance of God's will as he exercised the uttermost patience. Those who accept the insult with humility and consider themselves deserving insults find themselves in favor with God. Find themselves in favor with God. Look at what David said. But David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamin, Benjaminite, let him alone and let him curse. So for as the Lord has ordered him, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his, cur for his cursing this day. So how did David look at it? David said, if I persevere this cursing, God will look at me with goodness. When somebody gives me a hard time and tries to make me react while I can and I choose not to, you're carrying the cross. And when you're carrying the cross, God looks upon you with favor. Humility and submission to God and understanding that everything happens around me does not happen by a chance is an ability for me to persevere through all that comes at me. That's why one of the most important things is to see what you do at your most vulnerable moments. So what are some of your vulnerable moments? The days when you don't get enough sleep. The days when you don't eat very well, when you're overworked, when you're stressed, when you have relationship issues, financial issues. Some even time your vulnerable moments can be when you're overeating and just relaxing and the devil can come to you and bring you to anything. And it's very important for us to watch carefully these moments. Because these are the moments where the devil comes and can try to make us fall into a sin or at least miss an opportunity of grace that David did not miss. And as David and his men went along the road, Shemai went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went through stones at him and kicked up dust. He doesn't want to stop. It's not like once David said, okay, don't kill him, you know, happy ending. No, this guy just keeps going down with them the whole side, cursing, throwing stones, and David fully submitting. Now the king and all the people who were with him became worried. It's a long day. They've been running away. So they refreshed themselves there. Finally, rest came at the end of the day. After a day where David was completely chastised. He was insulted. His son turned against him. Many people turned against him. And all of these things, he said, this is my chance to win favor with God my chance to win favor with God. There is a very famous saying in Arabic, it says, it's better to sleep while you're oppressed than you're being oppressor. It's better to sleep at night when people mistreat you than you mistreat them. 
Because when you do that, you're sleeping in the bosom of Christ. This is the image that David has put for us today. Now we're going to go to a very famous name, and we actually this name we recite it in the liturgy. It's the advice of Ahithophel. So let me just give you a little bit of a, of a background. If you want to think of the most intelligent person in the world, okay? Uh, MD, PhD, like, you know, whatever it is, MBA, anything, the, anything you can put next to his name, graduated from the top universities, worked at the best consulting company, this is the guy, okay? Ahithophel is the most intelligent man in this kingdom, all right? The most intelligent. Now remember one thing, the reconciliation between David and Absalom before, David, uh, before Absalom started this, this rebellion was not very genuine. They saw each other, they kissed, but they never really spoke about the real issue, and they just kind of let it go. So the relationship between David and Absalom is kind of, you know, shaky. So let's see what happened. Now we're going to leave David, the man is resting at the end of the night, he's tired, he got cursed, his day is a long day. Now we're going to go to the new king, Absalom. So what's happening? Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem. And Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai, the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and his people, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son, as I have served in the presence of your, in, the, in your father's presence? So will I be in your presence? Let me just kind of give you a big bit of a background about this, and then we'll go back. Hoshiah was one of David's closest loyal friends. When he came to follow David, David told him, look, I don't want you to follow me. I want you to go back and somehow, somehow spoil the counsel of Ahithophel. That was his main job. Hoshiah's main job is to ruin the counsel of Ahithophel, his advice. For obviously, when Absalom entered the palace and saw Hushaya, Hushaya, Absalom was surprised. You're David's friend. Why are you here? So Hushaya told him, no, 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 long live the king. No, no long live the king. He told him, I'm loyal to the king whom the people and God has chosen. And should I not serve my master's son? Hushaya is the perfect example of how you can say whatever you want without lying. Okay? He did not lie to Absalom and tell him, oh, I don't follow David anymore. I'm loyal to you. It's actually quite the opposite. He told him, I follow the king whom the people choose, who God chose. And you guys know the story, the very famous story of St. Athanasius when he, was, when he was actually in exile. And then one time he was uh, on a, taking a ship and, and fleeing away and then the Roman soldiers kind of chased him and then the Roman soldiers don't know how he looks like but he told him have you seen Athanasius do you know Athanasius the bishop says I know him they told him do you know where he is he told him he's very close to you okay so then they continued sailing after him 
He did not lie, but he answered in a way that kind of provide protection as much as he can to get his mission accomplished. So Hushai here, is, he was able, and because of Absalom's own pride and thinking that everybody is loyal to him, he did not even analyze what Hushai is saying. He completely believed him. Okay? Now we'll go back to Ahithophel's advice. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what should we do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all whom are with you will be strong. So they pitched the tent for Absalom on the top of a house, and Absalom went in into the father concubines in the sight of all Israel. So Absalom, uh, Ahithophel gave two shrewd advices. What is he doing here? It was very common when a new king comes in, he takes over the woman of the old king. Okay? It was common practice. Now, why does Ahithophel tell Absalom to do this? Because when, when Absalom takes on his father's concubines or wives, it breaks all bonds between him and his father. So he's telling all Israel, you know, some, you can imagine with me, some people are standing and saying, you know what, David and Absalom, their father and son, some, they probably will reconcile one day. You know, let's not take sides. Let's just kind of stay on the, on the, on the, the you know, just side watching. And then one day they'll make up and we don't want to be in trouble. And then they come, come after us and be like, you sided with this guy, you sided with this guy. So you will see a lot of people doing that. A lot of people are just standing on the side because it's a father and son. So when he goes on on his concubines, he's saying, there is no more relationship between me and my father. And by the way, what... Ahithophel is telling Absalom is against the commandments of God. In Leviticus 18, 7 to 8, it clearly says, The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. So there is a, he's giving him an advice against the commandments of God. But also, maybe Ahithophel knows about the prophecy of Nathan. Because Nathan told him, the Lord will take your wives and give them to your neighbor. neighbor. This is in 2 Samuel 12, 11. But it will be very shrewd and evil of Ahithophel to come up with this advice. Because this advice will break all what's left between the father and son relationship. It is against the law. But Ahithophel cares so much about him being the best advisor in town. He cares about his reputation and his prestige and people respecting him. Look at verse 23, it says, Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So it was all the advices of Ahithophel, both David and with Absalom. This guy knows what he's doing exactly. He's the smartest person alive. And that's why David was praying day and night, please God, please God, disperse the counsel of Ahithophel. This is one of the prayers we pray in the liturgy. The most, most effective idea it should work. So the first advice, Absalom listened to it. 
Now what's going to happen? We're going to start chapter 17 and stop whenever we, the time comes. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight, and I will come upon him while he is weary and weak, and make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Ahithophel is a genius. What's the main problem that will make Absalom never a, a stable king? Is that David alive. So number one, he, he told people, the relationship between me and my father is off. The second thing is, go kill this guy. Look what Absalom is saying. He's telling him, I'm, I'm going to only kill the king. Remember, these are the same nation, the same people. Cousins are fighting against cousins. Fathers are fighting against brothers. So this is, this is not, uh, he told him, I'm going to go. It's more like a, uh, like a, a task force, like an, a spe specific mission. Going to kill this guy, assassin David, and come back. That's the plan. He's tired, he's weak, he's just on the run. Easy to get him. Genius idea. Okay? Now, somehow, look, this is how God works. David has been praying. He, sipped, he left Hoshaya in the palace, hoping that something will happen, even though Absalom knows that Hoshaya is loyal to David. Somehow, Absalom decides to do something crazy. And Absalom said, now call Hoshaya, the archite, also, and let us hear what he has to say too. And when Hoshaya came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says, if not speak up? Can you imagine? This is how God works in ways you can never imagine. Absalom decides not to take the advice of the most expensive, intelligent counsel in the world and goes to Hushaya, whom he suspected that he was a friend of David the prophet. How God works. And all the elders agree. So Hushaya said to Absalom, the advice Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, said Hoshaya, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged with, in their mind, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field, and your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he's hidden in some pit in some other place, and it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom, and even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. So what is Hushai told him? Told him, look, David, this man is a man of war. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to be with the people as you think, and you're going to bring him 12,000 people to kill him. No, no, no. This guy already is hiding. And most likely when you go with those 12,000 people, he's actually going to come and attack you and probably cause some damages and everybody's going to know that David's already winning the war and they're gonna, their heart is going to go with David. All right? Sounds like a reasonable opinion, right? But again, you see how, how, how God can work through somebody's advice. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea of, for the multitude, and that you go to battle in person. 
So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will pull it, pull it in, into the river until there is not one small stone found there. Obviously, there are two different tactics. One says, let's go for a small quick strike, and the other person says, let's gather all the army, have a celebration, inaugurate you as a king, then bring all the people and go all together for a war. And in that way, we can capture David. Obviously, Absalom, because he's young and he likes, you know, victory, he wants to defeat his father, he wants the prestige, he wants this. Somehow, he rejected the advice of Absalom. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushaya the Archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. Look back for this verse. For the Lord has proposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. So the author of Samuel, at this point probably Nathan or Gad the prophet, they're saying that the main reason that this was defeated is because of the power of prayer of David the prophet. Everything seems it's all human interference, but the king's heart is in God's hands. And God wanted to disperse the counsel of Ahithophel because it was time for Absalom to receive what God has planned for him. The power of prayer, you might not see what's happening. You might not see what's happening behind the scenes. But God moves things in a miraculous way. St. Basil said, by comparing the history of Hoshiah's role in aiding David with the seventh psalm, the name of the son of Jimmy is understood as the ascription given to Hoshiah. So if you guys look at Psalm 7, remember the psalms are what David wrote in his life. Psalm 7, he says, O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion rendering me in pieces while there is none to deliver. David has an army, strong soldiers, warriors, people like him. He chose to get on his knees and to pray to God to present his biggest problems in life. Even though he has all the tools to start thinking, let's plan Let's discuss, let's do. He decided to put all his problems in the hands of God. And that's why God worked with him behind the scenes in ways that nobody can understand. Even though David is watching the results of his own mistakes, every moment David is being transformed. Not once he complained. He lived in submission to all the consequences that God laid for him. It's not easy. It's not easy to live like what he's doing. You're going to see more and more in the next few chapters how much David ever even cared for his own son who rebelled against him 
and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.